There we go. So let's get started for the afternoon. Um, I'm going to uh, take you through a traditional, the traditional kind of formal practice of loving kindness, uh, and I, I want to talk about uh, a couple things about about practice. Um, first of all, as I as I mentioned before, when we look at the early teachings, the suttas. We see the Buddha mostly talking about loving kindness as a radiating practice, and we'll see that specifically in the in the Metta Sutta when we go over that later. But it, 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 the phrases that I was using during the little Qigong exercise are are the ones that uh, we see in that Sutta. Those are taken directly from the Sutta, radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. So other than that, he doesn't give a lot of instruction on how to do this. There's the phrase uh, in the in the Metta Sutta where he says, wishing in gladness and in safety may all beings be at ease. And out of that, we've kind of taken these three ideas, happiness, gladness, so we usually say happy rather than glad. Uh, peace, we'll say, may you be at peace. So ease and peace, we can sort of equate those, and then safety, being safe, protected. So, the, the thing about the way then that the Buddha talked about that practice, it doesn't give us much to work with. You know, uh, I, as I've tried to do a bit today, I do try to uh, encourage a kind of visualization or, uh, I don't know, it's more of like, a, for me, it's almost like a physicalization to coin a phrase that will probably never be used again, but... It, was a try uh, of a feeling in the body and then feeling as if I'm radiating uh, and you know some people can connect with that and some people can't it's not it, it doesn't as I say it doesn't give you much kind of tangible to hold on to so uh, what uh, what then came as a, a more structured practice, came along really a thousand years after the Buddha's life, around 500 A.D., uh, in a famous text called The Path of Purification. It's Visuddhimagga in Pali. It's one of these huge books, like one of these. <clears throat> and it's all sort of commentaries. It kind of went back, and they went back in the suttas and kind of tried to structure things and bring and sort of focus on explaining different things it's it's a dense read uh, it's not uh, you know a page turner yeah. it's more like a sleep inducer but uh, that can have value too but what they did come up with was a system for practicing loving kindness so this is the system that is typically taught uh, by Western Buddhist teachers and Asian teachers as well. <clears throat> uh, Sharon Salzberg's book, entitled Loving Kindness, The Revolutionary 
path to happiness, I think it's a subtitle, but it's just loving kindness, uh, was kind of the first one to bring this out and, and really uh, show how it works. came out in 1995. Still very popular. <clears throat> really a kind of important turning point in Western Buddhism because although loving kindness was taught before that, it didn't sort of take the central place that it, like partnership that it has now with mindfulness. Nowadays, uh, in, at least in this tradition, we call it the insight Buddhist tradition, which is, comes out of Theravadan Buddhism, uh, the lo- mindfulness and loving kindness are co- sort of taught hand in hand and almost like two wings. Uh, and before that, mostly what people would do is they would teach loving kindness kind of like at the end of a day or at the end of a retreat, but most of the time it would just be mindfulness and concentration practices. And obviously, loving kindness, just as a, a principle, is really central to what the Buddha taught. And as a as a quality to inform our practice is really important. So even when practicing mindfulness without formally doing loving kindness, it's really important to bring in this attitude of kindness because otherwise the mindfulness practice can become this kind of uh, ambitious kind of climbing the ladder or trying to achieve something, trying... like. People think they're supposed to stop thinking or, they're, or they get into, oh, I'm, I shouldn't have those thoughts. And it, it can get very uh, ambitious in a way, like you're trying to accomplish something and, and almost punitive. Where it's like, oh, there's another thought, there's another thought. Stop that. You know, come back to the breath. Uh, and rather than kind of having this, this gentle attitude that we've been talking about, which is, an understanding and compassionate attitude. Oh, there's thinking happening. Oh, there's grasping. Oh, that's painful. I should let go of that. You know, and, I, and it's not my fault. This is not something. You know, I'm not uniquely bad meditator. <clears throat> You're not, by the way. We're all mostly bad meditators, except the annoying people that are good at it. <laughs> And they're usually Dharma teachers and then they make you feel bad about your practice. They don't mean to, but it's just... Anyway, Tim and I were talking about that a little bit before. As he said, people who are born... seem to have been born happy, you know. And they're like, born peaceful. And, you know, it's like, eh. I mean, you know, bless them and all that, but uh, that doesn't help me. Um... So, so here we go. So the formal metta practice goes through kind of categories. It starts with self, although oftentimes now people will, we can sometimes start, and I think I will start it this way today, you start with what's called a benefactor, which is like someone who has been really helpful to you and a dear, a very dear person that you don't, there's no complicate negative feelings in your relationship. Sometimes people use pets for the pet people because uh, uh, it just evokes that very positive feelings without complications unless you're traumatized by a dog when you were a child in which case you know you don't want to do that. So there and 
And when you work with the benefactor, this starting point, I usually call it the beloved. So uh, with the beloved, the, the, the value of that, I think, is that it evokes the feeling of loving kindness. And you kind of get the feeling, oh yeah, this is what we're kind of going for. Although, you know, you have to be careful about how your relationship to that. But it's good to kind of just kind of get that feeling that I talked about as one of the aspects. Kind of get the feeling and get a sense of what this feels like. And then you're meant to turn loving kindness back on yourself. And to do this, we use phrases, I should say. The, the repeated phrases um, help to keep the mind on track. Whereas the kind of radiating I was talking about, it's hard to like keep on track with radiating. It's like you kind of radiate out into space and then you wind up spaced out. You know? so, um, so the phrases and you're working with the breath and you're working with images of people. So you have like, it's very consuming. It can be a good concentration practice because you're thinking of someone, or you're thinking of yourself, you're feeling your breath and then you're, saying these phrases so you're kind of fully occupied so we start then we do the beloved then we do self then we do kind of our the people that we're close with family and friends and then we try to come up with a neutral person so this is sort of an odd thing it's actually most people actually in your life that you encounter are neutral for you you know if if you look around in this room people that you don't know you don't have any feelings about them. They're, they're neutral, right? So, uh, because people often are like, well, who, who should I use? And it, it doesn't matter at all as long as you don't have any feelings about them. So, like, I use the security guard at the bank uh, in my neighborhood. And it's just convenient because I can see him in my mind. And, I, you know, he's very clear in my mind. And I don't have any feelings about him. But it's like I can see him clearly because I've seen him many times. So that's the type of person that's good to be a neutral person. I, I used this one month-long retreat. I used a guy in a video store on Solano Avenue in Berkeley. And at the end, at the end of the retreat, when I went home, one day I walked into the video store and I saw him. And I was like, <gasps> There he is. Uh, and it really was striking to me that, like, before the retreat, I, and I had no feeling about him. But it, it, it was like, wow, this stuff works. It really worked. So, uh, yeah, so part of what we're trying to do, so there's a couple things we're trying to do there. One of the things we're trying to do, yeah, is develop this capacity to love people that we don't have any real relationship with, to, but it's also to um, start to have this viewpoint that I'm just going to pr- give love to everybody. I don't have to feel anything particular, personal about them. It's just uh, indiscriminate, uh, unconditional love. So then, so we do the beloved self, the dear ones, the close family and friends, the neutral person, and then we get to the difficult person or the enemy. Now this is of course challenging. And uh, one thing I'll say about it is generally I don't stay on the difficult person for a long time uh, because it's just too easy to fall into negativity. But 
The Vasudhi Maga interestingly says, just try to make the difficult person into a neutral person. Which I, I really like, that's a really interesting turn. I'd never heard that until I read the Vasudhi Maga when I was working on this book. And that sounds to me more possible than feeling, you know, heartfelt love for the difficult person. Um, but working with the difficult person, I also think of it as a way of measuring kind of what is my capacity for love. Like, okay, that's the limit. And to see it, to recognize it, not to, not to judge myself about it, not to feel bad about it, but to just see, oh yeah, there's that. You know. And of course, it's also a practice that's uh, you know, based on the same idea that all, everyone wants to be happy. So even this person who's doing, uns- you think is doing unskillful things or has harmed you in some way or you have a resentment about, they actually want happiness just like you do. You know. um, and in fact, if they are harming people, you know that they're creating bad karma for themselves, that they're creating uh, future pain for themselves. And to just, you know, just kind of take that in. Um, it's, it's not easy to uh, feel compassion or care for people that you see doing harm or who are really greedy. Like, you know, and you'll see in the sutta, the Metta Sutta, where the Buddha says, you know, the great or the mighty. So giving love to the great or the mighty. Because it's really easy to say, oh, well, you know, she's a billionaire. Why should I care about her? You know, and it's like, oh, yeah. But we also know that money doesn't solve dukkha. You know, money doesn't make pain go away. You know, it doesn't mean that you don't have any problems. Uh, you know, rich people's families tend to be really problematic because everybody's fighting over the money, right? Uh, and if you've ever, like, gotten a windfall of money, you know that feeling like, oh my God, what should I do with this? What well, can you imagine having a billion dollars and you're worrying about protecting that? I know it doesn't sound like a big problem, but seriously, you know, to me, the worst part about being rich is that your life becomes about money. It can't, you can't help but be consumed with it. I mean, the fact that you, if you earned it, then you were really consumed to earn that much money. But also that it's just got to be like people are constantly saying, oh, well, what are you going to do with your money? You know, and give me some of your money and let me tell you what to do with your money. And, you know, if you don't have that much money, you know, if you ain't got nothing, you got nothing to lose. Bob Dylan. Come on, people. So, once we complete all these categories, the beloved, and I'm going to take you through all this. You don't have to memorize it, but I, I like to just repeat it so that in the future, maybe you, when you're practicing on your own, you can you'll remember the, all the categories. It's pretty logical. You know, the beloved, the self, the dear ones, the neutral one, the difficult one. Then we start to radiate out. And I do this as a visualization where I just visualize 
nearby, start with the room that I'm in and then radiating out to nearby. And I think of the people that are living nearby and people that are driving by and Sir Francis Drake and people that are up in the retreat hall and then the animals out there and the trees and uh, the birds and the trees and the insects and then the, and the earth itself radiating love as the Buddha says outward and unbounded you know upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths that's not about people right the skies need a lot of love we've been mean to the skies the earth needs a lot of love so then you could just kind of imagine radiating love as though it's just coming out of you and across the planet, all the land, the oceans surrounding. And sometimes I'll kind of talk about different categories of people then on the earth. But uh, And typically then we can also radiate out into, the, into space, into the universe. I've tended to keep it more earth-centered the last couple of years because I just think we need a lot of extra love here but uh, I don't know what's going on out in space uh, maybe there's somebody out there who needs love probably somewhere on the death star so um, I just thought I'd kind of explain all that which uh, I don't think I've ever done that before in public so <clears throat> let's do it. We'll sit and I'll and I'll guide you through this whole practice. begin then by settling into our posture and in this practice we particularly want to feel comfortable I don't want to strain the body when doing metta and closing the eyes or just lowering the gaze softening bringing the attention to the heart center, the place in the middle of the chest where it kind of feels as if love comes from. We breathe into this space. And there's a sense of, of breathing in and out of the heart. Also then trying to drop any armor, any resistance, just surrender, surrendering to love.
we begin by thinking of a dear one, a beloved, a benefactor, someone someone who it's easy for us to love. When we think of this beloved, there are unalloyed feelings of warmth and affection. And letting yourself be filled with those feelings. And if a smile comes to your face, that's fine, that's helpful. And you can start to do the phrases of loving kindness. And you can use your own phrases or you can use these saying to yourself as you speak to your beloved may you be happy may you be peaceful may you be safe May you be happy. May you be peaceful. May you be safe. Breathing into the heart, breathing out of the heart, holding your beloved. May you be happy, may you be peaceful, may you be safe.
Now as though your beloved were turning the loving kindness back on you. May I be happy. May I be peaceful. May I be safe. Repeating the phrases for yourself, letting the phrases continue cycling through. May I be happy. May I be peaceful. May I be safe. Staying with the breath, the felt sense of loving kindness in the body, softness, openness, and the phrases repeating in the mind. May I be happy. May I be peaceful. May I be safe.
Now, beginning to work with the wider circle of dear ones, family and friends. And here it can be helpful to visualize each person in turn as you just let the phrases cycle through the mind. May you be happy. May you be peaceful. May you be safe. Keeping a certain amount of attention in the body so that you're grounded with the breath. And just letting all these dear ones come to mind and enjoy thinking of them. Enjoy your love for them. May you be happy, may you be peaceful, may you be safe. Now thinking of a neutral person, someone you don't have strong feelings about, either positive or negative. 
letting an image of them come to mind and sending them the same loving kindness you give your beloved, yourself and your dear ones. May you be happy. May you be peaceful. May you be safe. May the neutral person be happy, be peaceful, be safe. Just noticing how it feels when you shift from dear ones to a neutral person. See if you can maintain an attitude of caring. Now beginning to work with the difficult person or the enemy. This can be someone you know personally or just someone you know of, like a public figure. 
repeating the same phrases, seeing what happens to the heart as you think of this person. And as it says, seeing if you can just bring yourself to a neutral stance towards them. May you be happy. May you be peaceful. May you be safe. Trying to keep the heart open for the difficult person. Forgiving your own limitations. Beware of falling into negative thoughts. Just staying with the form of the practice as much as possible. And now beginning to radiate a first, like a sense of radiating from the heart outwards into this room. All the people you're sharing this space and this time with. May you all be happy. May you be peaceful. May you be safe. filling this room with 
loving kindness. And radiating outwards, out onto the land, all the people up the hill at the retreat center, all the staff, and the animals, the deer and the turkeys, the lizards and snakes, squirrels, animals living in the ground, the birds, the insects, all the beings at Spirit Rock, the little frogs, radiating loving kindness out across this land, up the hills, down to the road, the people driving past, the horses in the pasture, the cows, throughout this valley, your heart opening, growing, expanding, radiating loving-kindness outwards to the nearby cities and towns, villages, to the bay and the city. Loving-kindness radiating across the land, across the continents, out to the oceans, to the depths of the ocean all the beings in the sea. Loving kindness spreading around the planet, surrounding the planet, holding the planet with love. The heart growing more and more vast, limitless loving kindness that holds everyone and everything on this planet and the planet itself with love. Touching those who are sick and those who are well, those who are poor and those who are rich, those at peace and those at war, those who are free and those who are enslaved and oppressed. those being born and those dying, the young and the old, the middle-aged. Loving kindness permeating the planet, all beings. Then radiating love from this planet outwards in all directions into space, out to the distant 
stars and planets, galaxies, radiating kindness through the entire universe, touching all beings and all things, the heart vast and limitless, boundless, immeasurable, sitting in that vast, limitless heart. May all beings everywhere be happy. May all beings everywhere be peaceful. May all beings everywhere be safe. Now coming back, back into this room, back into this body, into this heart, into this breath. Seeing that this heart holds this limitless loving-kindness, that this capacity for boundless love is right here within me, always available, always accessible, if I just turn my mind to it and open to it. Okay, so maybe time for some questions about practice, if there are any.
Let's use the microphone. I'm actually recording this, so um, if you don't mind. Thank you. Yeah. I was just wondering, what if your mind drifts a little bit while you're doing this meditation? Yeah, yeah. thank you for asking that. That You know, it's... Anybody who's done any kind of meditation practice knows that uh, the wandering mind is part of the deal. So it's really simply just like working with the breath. We just come back wherever you were. You know, if you're in the neutral person, or you know, you just come back to where you were and you start up there. Just try to, especially try to reconnect with the body and the breath so that you're really present. It's not just, we don't want this practice to be just in the head, you know. That's why the idea of of the heart center and the breath out of the heart and kind of radiating through the body is is an important part of it. But yeah, you just come back to where you were and start again. Uh, I mean, you get lost for five minutes, you know, it's fine. Just come back, start again. Yeah. I mean, the the advantage of the form is that it... It's very structured, so it can help you. If, if you're finding that your mind is tending to wander, move a little more quickly through and keep the phrases going so that you kind of, you know, you can do this practice in five minutes or ten minutes, you know. That was like a half an hour. But you can do it much shorter and just, and that'll keep you more on track. Yeah. So I'm pretty new to all this. Um, so I was surprised that I kind of felt like I was floating out. Uh-huh. I'm not sure if that's because, is that, I don't know, is that desired or not desired? And is that because um, I'm not in touch with my breath? I just, well, so when we started to radiate, is that? Uh, yeah, even, yeah, especially during the radiating part, yeah. it just kind of felt, it was very pleasant, but I don't know if it's, I don't know. Uh, it's groovy, man. I mean, <laughs> it is. Now, this can be a very pleasant practice. Uh, and and that state, the different kind of states of feeling kind of lifted up or very light, spacious, there can be a sense of the mind being very, really vast. And we kind of feel like we're moving out, out of just the limits of the body. And that's, that's absolutely one of the, I would say, purposes of this practice. And it ties in with some other uh, aspects of Buddhist teachings. Um, in fact, one of the books that I, I've drawn on over the past couple of years is called Compa- Compassion and Emptiness in Early Buddhist Teachings. And it's kind of like you're touching that. It, because the spaciousness is kind of like emptiness in a way. It's just like space. And, and there's kind of a vastness to it that the Buddha is kind of pointing to. There are also, just as a side note, that there are also concentration practices called jhanas that in the higher stages of them work with the kind of feeling of infinite space and infinite consciousness. And I, that's a practice that I... as. As Christina said, I've, I've, been, I've been actually been practicing for 38 years. So, uh, you know, I got to a point after about 15 
years of practice where I started to touch into some of these things and then I have a teacher who helped me work with that and it's just a it's they're just mental states that you can achieve just by doing a lot of meditation and with some guidance but uh, they're very they're really remarkable states where it's very transcendent kind of this sense of a vastness of mind and and one of the things that it points to and actually the experience you're having also helps to point to how our idea of what consciousness is is very uh, it's a very limited idea it's it's created through our perception we so if all we perceive is like body and senses from here then we perceive consciousness as kind of existing here just in the head right that's the way most of us kind of feel we walk around like i perceive the world mostly through the senses the eyes and the ears you know particularly and and there's a sense that that's the limits of consciousness so one of the things that some of these practices do is open us up to the idea that maybe consciousness is much more vast than we imagine maybe it's not limited to the body or maybe even vast isn't the right word for it that it's just not located somewhere Um, and i'm not trying to like throw a monkey into the wrench or whatever just but just to (laughs) Uh, like and I, what I mean is I, I'm not trying to get you like thinking about all kind of thing like well, what is you know trying to figure that out but just that a lot of what Dharma practice is doing a significant part of it is trying to break up our preconceptions about reality about who I am about who you are about what the world is so that we so that we keep questioning and asking and, and trying to understand rather than just accepting what you know the what we've been taught and what the way we experience things I, I mean one of the things that I like to point out is that you know dogs can hear things that I can't hear right so that just shows in a very f- physical way that my interpretation of reality my perception of reality is just limited it's just it is limited and through deep practices it's possible to have other experiences of reality this is why uh, psychedelics are you know seen as kind of helping people to get insight about the limits of perception I don't encourage the use of psychedelics Um, in fact I discourage it because you can get the same thing like this and there's a lot of risks but that's that's the kind of justification that people use because it breaks up your your singular view of, of perception. So, didn't mean to go off so far on that, but there you go. Words come out of my mouth. There's a, a hand that rising. Um, <clears throat> what I'm attributing right now to my decisive mind, but the neutral category is pretty tough for me. Even Which? when I, the category of a neutral person, uh-huh. like my mind seems to either be in favor or not. Um, so I wonder if you had any guidance around that or a certain group to pull from or how to hold that. Well, did you, were you able to notice what it was that was triggering your liking or disliking? Just my judgment of whoever I'm pulling up. Well, yeah. and, 
do, were you able to think of people that you don't know, but that you could like envision? Maybe I'm being too, uh, too transparent here. But yeah, usually I try to pull from someone I don't typically know, but um, I have a gut favorability or unfavorability in that. Yeah. Well, I think, first of all, what it points up is, is how our minds tend to just be very judgmental. You know, I, I described this practice that I uh, did when, when I, I used to work in San Francisco in a tech company, and I, I started doing a practice where I would um, just say, may you be happy in my mind, to each person that I passed between BART and my office. BART's really tough. What, what? BART's very difficult. Yeah. So, so it was really interesting to see how, just as you're saying, people, I didn't know them, but, you know, depending upon basically how they looked and then my own perception of what somebody who's wearing a suit or somebody who's, like, in the gutter or someone that I find attractive, someone that I find unattractive, someone that I find uninteresting, the mind categorizes very quickly. So, um, just keep practicing. You know, it's it's okay. Uh, it's just but yeah I mean I would I would say see if you can find somebody you know just like start looking for it like just looking for like there'll be the people that you don't normally notice you know like you see so many like people that you look past ordinarily and just like oh wait I look past that yeah I don't have that doesn't trigger anything in me you know that's helpful, thank you. Yeah, I just thought of that. <laughs> Hi. Um, I tend to have really powerful emotional reactions to the metaphrases, um, almost to the point where I want to cry. Yeah. And I'm not a real emotional person in general. Um, so you say. So I say. <laughs> and I'm just curious how I can honor that, but also not let it become about me hmm. in the process and about my emotions. So stay with your breath. Keep breathing. And so, uh, partly I say that because you want to stay in your body and not in your head, right? And it's totally fine if you start crying and feeling, if if you're crying out of a feeling, and that's why I say stay with the breath because that keeps you in your body, but because if it, it, it... it can if it starts if there's like a story that starts that's what you want to let go of right like oh god do I remember when they did this and we they did that and I loved them so much you know that that's kind of could you hear what I was saying I don't know if that was intelligible um, you know um, but but if you stay in your body it's a re- it's really uh, healing to cry and to open up in that way to let yourself cry we don't let ourselves cry enough I don't think um, so I, 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 but, but it's a good observation that it can turn into something different because we associate crying with self-pity um, and, and you know often it is crying about 
you know, our own pain. But when you're opening up in this way, the crying is really much more of a universal tears. And as long as you stay with that, with that kind of openness, physicality, the felt sense, and don't get into a story, I think it's it's good. Yeah. Yeah. I often find that, uh, especially with the beloved, the neutral, and the hated, um, that my it keeps shifting. The person keeps shifting, yeah. and I wonder if that's my avoidance of the love I can, the open-heartedness I can have, or if that's something just to let be what it is. It's shifting during the during the process. Yeah, like I'll start with someone, and then all of a sudden, someone else will pop up. <laughs> Um, yeah, generally, I would, uh, you, you want to try to work with one person, um, because otherwise it can become the kind of a, a restlessness, you know, kind of jumping around and, and partly this practice is, um, used and valuable for the concentration aspect of it. So I would, I would just like try to, you know, in a given sitting, you know, choose particular uh, people to work with. Yeah. Yeah. Just looking over here, so, but I don't see any hands up on the other side. So yeah, go ahead. Here comes the microphone. Thank you. Uh, I was. Actually, I was doing this practice for many months, and I started to really see the benefits. And they just happened. And then I got bored. I don't know what, but I would find myself resisting, Mm -hmm. which doesn't make it. It's not. It's illogical, but I. That does fit me. Um, I'm wondering if you have any ideas for how to deal with that when it comes the resistance. Yeah, that, I mean, this is where you have to kind of be your own guide in a way, because It's really a question of what's going on and what what the kind of impulse behind that is, because I, it's useful to work with practices for extended periods of time, and then sometimes you kind of lose the juice around it, and it's time to try something else and to work with something else. And there's nothing wrong with that, um, and that's. You know, that's one thing that can happen. Certainly that's, when I look back over my years of practice, that's how it's been. There have been like, you know, periods of time, often years at a time, where I'm kind of working with a particular practice and and it, and it certainly has evolved, you know. Uh, but then there's also the times when it's just more like resistance or... Um, restlessness or it's like I'm touching something I don't really want to touch or I'm I'm not focused enough so 
I'm, I blame it on the practice, you know, rather than, oh, maybe I need to sit longer or, you know, put in some more energy, more effort. So it's really hard for, for an outsider, for me, to say exactly what's going on inside you. So, you know, because ultimately we have to be our own meditation teacher. We're the only one inside our own mind. And so we have to kind of study ourselves and kind of question ourselves. Um, Because I don't have a problem with the idea of, oh, this feels like I'm kind of done with this for now. I'm going to do something else. But on the other hand, as you said, you know, it sounds like you're really not sure where you're at with that. So you you kind of have to kind of think about it for yourself, what feels right. Does it feel like you're resisting or does it feel like you're ready for something else? Yeah. I really expected this to be very easy for me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) laugh. Um, And in my own practice, which is pretty sporadic, I always begin it by um, praying for everyone without exception. Mm -hmm. And I used to picture Bush, and now I picture Trump. Yeah. And I've never uh, had keep a pro- upping your game. There. I keep upping my game. Well, the world. Keeps you thought Bush was hard. Yeah. And I've never, you know, generally my heart kind of opens. I feel love, and I feel, you know, I do pray for them. Yeah. Good. <laughs> the negative thing here, somehow, when it, when I was saying, "May you be happy," <laughs> that was like too much. I just couldn't. Mm-hmm. really feel it and I was I'm just really shocked actually <laughs> to tell you the truth it was it was wishing them too much or something yeah you know maybe I felt what I um, thought was love and forgiveness was just kind of a benevolence and so this was testing yeah, I mean, I think that sustaining the practice, it's one thing to kind of, like, say a prayer and kind of, like, for a minute or two kind of reflect, but to really stay and sustain the practice for 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, you know, that's, this is one of the things that I, when I started the day by talking about the aspects of medit- of mindfulness, this is one of the aspects that we start to see our limits, see the resist the places of resistance. And again, I don't take that as like, oh, what's wrong with me that I'm limited? It's just, oh, that's my leading edge of my growth. And if I want, I can try to challenge that. Or I can also say, well, right now that's what it is and we'll see if it changes. You know, you can be either active with it or you can just be kind of accepting with, okay, that's where I'm at. But... Uh, I really think it's important to be honest and it's kind of like something was revealed to you. So that's actually an insight. Okay, to, like I thought I was nicer than I am. You know? <laughs> Which is what happens to most of us when we do this practice. I thought I was nice, but boy, I didn't think of that at all. So we can, we can I mean, you know, one of the... Uh, you know, things that comes up when you, and this can happen more than just the difficult person, but just trying to be open and loving at all, you know, and trying to do loving kindness practice, there can be this sort of other side that comes up and you can find it's 
your resentments and stuff are coming up even stronger. Like you've almost um, opened a, a box, you know, a Pandora's box of feelings that, oh, whoa. Because, you know, there is this aspect of this practice where we're saying, let me just open my heart. And sometimes our heart's a little, you know, messy, needs a little, uh, whatever, you know, it just can, there can, there can be a lot of stuff. And uh, so that's where the aspect of the Brahmaviharas that I mentioned before, the divine abodes, the quality of equanimity is really important in it. Because we can get swamped either way. We can get swamped with love or compassion and get kind of over, uh, I would say this about the crying too, that it, when it gets overly emotional, that we kind of dial it back with equanimity. And equanimity the phrase that goes with equanimity is longer. It says, um, all beings are the owners of their karma. Their happiness or unhappiness is dependent upon their actions, not upon my wishes for them. So we remind ourselves, okay, I'm doing this practice. I'm trying to be helpful, um, heartful, you know, but I can't, I'm not responsible, ultimately, for them. It's important important balancing uh, to not get so caught up in this that, like, we think, oh, you know, oh, no, I'm feeling anger. That's terrible. Like, I hope my anger doesn't hurt them or, or, you know, or or I need to love them more or something. And we're just like, no, we're just doing our part, doing our best and and letting go. Letting go of the results. You got another question? That's good. Yes, I'm new. So the first category was... The, the, the beloved or the benefactor. And then myself. And self. And the neutral... I mean, the, the, then I, go, I call it the dear ones, which is more like my circle of close family and friends. The dear ones and then neutral. And the neutral and the yeah. difficult. I was really surprised that I felt much, much deeper open feelings towards a neutral than I'm not quite sure uh-huh. that's kind of than I thought it would of the, the category before the loved ones. I don't know, that seems surprised me. You thought what? I felt more oh, open and much deeper towards the neutral. You felt deeper towards the neutral than the loved ones? Yeah, which Well our feelings feel towards our loved ones are more complicated, you know. It's it's hard to keep them just positive when we think because you know the little conflicts that we have. There's another sutta where the Buddha says, "Suffering is born from those who are dear." <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. Well, that's interesting though. Well, the the thing about the neutral ones, right, is that you can just kind of like, woo, you know, it's like just love, and and that's it's really sweet to just just feel this openness and and that's how i feel i connect with all beings like that and, and the planet and you know just nature and like oh just things that there's no pushback from there's no sort of emotional content there it's just an open spacious feeling yeah good all right let's take a, a little break and uh We'll come back, we'll take about 10 minutes and then come back and do some more work together.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.